Welcome to McKnight's Home Care Newsmakers Podcast, where we share the latest information and views from industry leaders. I'm Liza Berger, editor of McKnight's Home Care. There is a care crisis facing people with severe behavioral illness, Joe McDonough, CEO of Innovive Health, told me. It is not uncommon for them to be hospitalized multiple times a year, and they often do not have a way to manage their complex issues when they return home. Enter Innovive Health, which is changing the care trajectory for these patients. Joe, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you very much, Liza. It's an honor to be on. I appreciate you taking the time to speak with me. So Innovive Health is a very unique kind of home care company in that it only serves the critically mentally ill who have multiple comorbidities. Can you just tell us more about your model and how it works? Sure. So Innovive Health is a home health company like any traditional VNA, except that we specialize in patients that have a severe behavioral health illness, and they also have multiple medical comorbidities. So it's something that for us, it's really a passion. It's a population that's been tremendously underserved. And it's really the population that has the worst outcomes. And everybody throughout, the, all the stakeholders throughout the care continuum really are losing right now. There's a tremendous crisis and Innovive Health is here to really change the whole paradigm. We really want to disrupt the way these patients are treated, not just in Massachusetts, but throughout the country. And tell us more about this crisis and in what way these particular patients are not being served. And can you give us an example of a typical patient? Of course. So it's been a crisis. This is a population that throughout history really has been underserved, and particularly since deinstitutionalization. It's not uncommon for a lot of these patients to be hospitalized multiple times, even 12 to 15 times during the course of the year. Never mind the fact that they're going to utilize ED departments in excessive numbers compared to the general population. Talk to anybody that works in an emergency room, and they're usually inundated with a lot of these folks. The real crisis with this population is that they're hospitalized multiple times, and once they get discharged from the hospital, there's really not much in place in the community to manage their complex medical issues. A lot of times, states, departments of mental health do a really good job as far as looking after housing and Oftentimes, once these patients are discharged from the hospital, there's really nothing in place to help them manage the really complex medical issues. And much of this population is much more medically sicker than the general population. I always say add 25 years to the age of a behavioral health patient because they struggle with multiple medical issues. And a lot of that is due to lifestyle and due to the fact that they're usually on 12 to 15 medications that they really struggle with managing correctly. So when you ask me about a typical behavioral health patient, or to give you an example of a behavioral health patient, there really is no such thing as a typical patient. Everybody is different and everybody has their own unique challenges. But for a example of a patient, you can say Bob is a 50-year-old person diagnosed with schizophrenia and they also have insulin-dependent diabetes. And so Bob may be on multiple medications and some of the antipsychotic medications that he's on may contribute to weight gain, which can artificially increase his glucose levels. And so Bob, from a cognitive perspective, is not really able to manage his diabetes. He's not able to operate his glucometer, never mind try to correlate the glucometer score to whatever sliding scale he has to draw for his insulin. And these patients have tremendously poor outcomes. And when you look at this population, it's the 3% population that contributes to 50% of all healthcare costs nationwide. And it's really a challenge for us to try to create much more positive outcomes for patients like Bob, where he really struggles. And it's not uncommon for someone like that to be hospitalized 12 to 15 times in the course of a year. 
And it's tremendously traumatic, by the way, for these patients to get hospitalized. When do you meet these patients? At what point in the healthcare process? Well, we actually meet with them throughout all parts of the continuum. We have over a thousand different referral sources in Massachusetts alone. We work with community health centers, hospitals, physician practices, the Department of Mental Health, their associated vendors, accountable care organizations, private insurers. So we really work with everybody throughout the continuum. But oftentimes, we engage with a patient as a result of a hospitalization. And upon discharge from a hospital, we will meet with the patient in their home and assess them, create a treatment plan in conjunction with their prescribing physician. And we will see them on a much more frequent basis than a traditional geriatric Medicare patient, for instance, that most traditional VNA service. And what payers are you working with? Well, most of our our patients are Medicaid patients, so we work very closely with Massachusetts Medicaid, which is called MassHealth, and their associated ACOs. Massachusetts took one-third of their whole MassHealth program and created several ACOs to work with this population on behalf of them. Mm -hmm. Your company has really flourished in Massachusetts, where it's based, and it recently branched out to Colorado. There seems to be a need nationally for this type of company right now. Is that for the reasons that you earlier cited, this crisis that doesn't seem to be getting any better? This crisis exists in all 50 states in this country. The reason we selected Colorado, Colorado has a system that's very similar to Massachusetts, but they also have their own challenges with their behavioral health population. They rank 45th in the nation for behavioral health services, and that's mainly due to access issues. And it's a real crisis for Colorado and Governor Paulus, they're putting a lot of resources into trying to improve that problem in this population in Colorado. So we felt that it was a really good area for us to work with the providers and payer sources out there to try to solve this access crisis. And tell us a little about who staffs your company and what services do they provide precisely? So we have tremendous clinicians that work for us. It's mostly nurses, although we do provide physical therapy and occupational therapy and home health services as well. But mostly it's our dedicated clinicians. And what they do when they go out into the home is, first of all, they will assess the patient. Most of these nurses are trained from a medical surgical perspective as well as a behavioral health. They have behavioral health skills as well, and most of them are very experienced working in the community. And they'll go out to the patient's home and they'll assess them not only for what their psychiatric needs are, but also for really looking at how the psychiatric needs complicate the treatment of the medical issues. And it's not uncommon for a lot of our patients to have five or six different medical comorbidities that are significant. And as I mentioned earlier with the example of the patient I gave you that from a cognitive perspective, it's extremely challenging for these patients to self-manage their medical issues. So our nurses will go out there Often these patients reside in an extremely fragmented system, whereas they may have a primary care physician, they'll have a psychiatrist, some of them may also have a diabetic specialist, and they'll have a case manager from the Department of Mental Health, they'll have another case manager from a vendor or from an accountable care organization, and a lot of times none of them are really talking. And so what our nurses do is they get all the stakeholders involved in the treatment process and alignment. We create a treatment plan that we believe will give the patient optimal positive outcomes. And then our nurses will see our patients on a very intensive basis. Oftentimes, we see our patients either daily or twice daily. 
and that is for continuous assessment, medication administration, coordination of care. We also have nurses that go into a patient's house and they'll assess their social determinants, which for this population can be very challenging. Oftentimes our patients deal with food insecurity, housing insecurity, inadequate hygiene is a big one. In this population, inadequate storage or access to medications. And then oftentimes patients really struggle to access transportation to bring them to primary care appointments and other appointments that they need to adhere to in order to continue with their treatment. Sounds like your nurses serve both the medical need and also a coordinator role and kind of a, a case manager type of role. Yeah, our nurses do a tremendous amount of case management and There's real value there, just to talk a little bit about the value proposition of our company to our payer sources and our providers. So it's not uncommon for a patient in Massachusetts to be hospitalized up to 12 times a year. And we estimate our services probably save the state of Massachusetts six hospitalizations per year on average. The average cost for a hospitalization based on industry sources is about 38,000. The average length of stay is about 11.3 days. To kind of compare that to the average cost of our services for a whole year is about $25,000. So if we save one hospitalization, we're already saving the state of Massachusetts $13,000. But we believe we save up to six hospitalizations, which we save $200,000 per person. And if you look at our current census, that's almost an average of about half a billion dollars a year that we save the state of Massachusetts. And we're also in the whole continuum of providers, whether it's a hospital, hospitals get penalized for readmissions for these patients. So we're saving them money as well. We're providing an extreme value to the patient and increasing their quality of life. And as I mentioned earlier, it's extremely traumatic for these patients to be hospitalized. So throughout the continuum, we're adding value. And it's something, again, we want to start going across the country and working with payer sources, working with state governments to really be able to impact their population as well. Wow. Just for our audience, what is your census? Our census right now is about 2,600 patients. 2,600 patients. In Massachusetts. And so Mm -hmm. we do roughly about over 20,000 patient visits per week. So we do a million. How many clinicians do you have? We have for nurses, we have 600 nurses that work for us. In Massachusetts? Correct. Wow. You clearly are filling a need that sounds like we've needed for a long time. Why did it take so long for a company like yours to come onto the scene? How were these patients being served or were they not before? Well, well, we've been around for about 20 years at this point. And so we have been on the scene for a long time. I think really why we're getting recognition now is because COVID, I think really as one of the few positive things that's come out of COVID is that it's really shined a light on the importance of mental health and the behavioral health population. And so for us, we've been doing this for a long time. And I think at this point, both the media and the policymakers are really taking notice and they're realizing that it's really a huge issue and a huge cost driver. Mm-hmm. Tell us a bit about how you started your company. I believe you have a pretty interesting personal story. So I grew up in a very tight-knit community and my senior in high school, Several of my close friends were in a car accident. I lost a couple of very good friends and had several friends that had significant life-altering injuries. And so I had to deal along with my friends, and obviously they had it much worse. 
but my group of friends, we had to deal with a lot of survivor guilt and trauma at a young age, you know, dealing with so much personal pain. And back then, and this is in the mid 80s, and back then there really weren't a lot of resources for young people. And so all of us struggled with a lot of personal pain with that. And I channeled it into really looking at a very vulnerable population that nobody was servicing at that point when I started getting into this field in the early 90s. And I started out in 1991 working in a locked psychiatric facility as a mental health worker. And that really opened my eyes to how this population is tremendously underserved. I kept seeing the same people come in and out of the hospital. They seemed to be almost worse when they were discharged than when they went into the hospital. And they just, it was a constant churn. And I realized at that point in my life that that was a problem I wanted to solve. When I first started this company, one of the things that really drove me is I had a patient who, her name was Gail, and she was diagnosed with schizophrenia and she had severe COPD as well. And I remember one night, if you looked at her, you could tell that she was a wonderful woman, but she always looked disheveled and she fit the, the sort of the stereotype, I guess, of how people would look if they were mentally ill. And that's important in the sense that one night, I sent her out. She was really struggling breathing. And I sent her out and I instructed the EMTs that she needed to have complete pulmonary assessment. And when she went to the hospital, all they did was focus on her mental illness. They deemed that she was stable psychiatrically, which she was very stable at that time, but she was just struggling breathing. But they never assessed her. And she was discharged. She was sent home and she ended up suffocating in her own kitchen. And I just remember being absolutely outraged. And that really, to this day, even thinking about that story now, to this day, that still drives me. She was a wonderful woman, had a lovely family. And the fact that she did not get the same treatment that you or I would get based upon her disability drives me to this day. And it's an outrage. And it's a problem that still exists in most parts of this country right now. Massachusetts has come a long way. And we have a lot of progressive thinkers in this state that are wonderful, but there's still a lot of places in this country where those types of events happen almost on a daily basis. She wasn't properly kind of recognized and evaluated for the condition she had, and so she was kind of left to fend for herself, and she was not able to do so. Correct. They could not see beyond her behavioral health diagnosis, in my view. Do you think it's a good time for behavioral health right now, given the recognition it's received from the pandemic? Is it an important time for this field that we haven't seen before? Absolutely. I actually think we're just at the beginning of it. I think the pandemic has taken a toll on many people that we won't fully understand until 10 years out, in my view. And so I think we're just at the beginning of everybody understanding that this is an issue that Collectively, whether we're providers, payers, state governments, from the federal government level, all of us have to get together and try to solve this. It's a huge issue. And in my view, it's only going to get much more of a larger issue. Mm -hmm. Can a home care company get into the type of work that you're doing? Just talking to our listeners out there who might be interested in developing a behavioral health service line, what would you recommend? I would recommend they come work for us. They can go on, on www.innovivehealth.com and they can see what we're all about. But the important thing is anybody thinking of entering this field and working with this population, it's important that they're passionate about this population. Mm -hmm. This is a population that is incredibly challenging to work with, but I feel it's the most rewarding population to work with 
And I think you can make the biggest difference working with this population. And from a home health perspective, our nurses see our patients on a daily basis. For instance, last Christmas, we provided over 2,000 patient visits on Christmas Day. And oftentimes, our clinicians are the only people our patients see on that day. And so there's a huge loneliness problem in this population. And our nurses fill the gaps in so many different ways. So anybody thinking of getting into it, there really is, in my view, it's a huge personal mission. And our clinicians, and I'm very grateful for this, our clinicians are incredibly passionate and dedicated to this population, as well as our administrative staff. Everybody is aligned on this mission. That's really remarkable. It sounds like you have just such a top-notch group of people working for you, especially during this time when obviously we know that it's very hard to find workers. It sounds like you've got the cream of the crop. Well, we really do. And, you know, we struggle like everybody else attracting staff. It's just there's a tremendous shortage throughout the spectrum. But we do better than most because the people that come to work for us, they're extremely dedicated and passionate to working with this group, and it shows every day. So we're, we're thrilled with our staff. We're thrilled with the honor to be able to, to care for this population. And again, we want to disrupt the whole industry. We want to be in all 50 states eventually, and we want to make a huge difference, everybody throughout the spectrum. I do believe, and I, I don't want to sound presumptuous, but I do believe Innovive Health is the future for behavioral health care in this country. Terrific. Well, we can't wait to see what you do next. Thank you so much for joining us. Joe McDonough, CEO of Innovive Health. Thank you for listening to McKnight's Home Care Newsmakers podcast. For the latest in home care news, visit McKnight'sHomeCare.com. 